you open your Bible up with me to Hebrews chapter 3, uh, I know many of you are enjoying just the, the richness of studying through this letter to the Hebrews, this continuing message from God for us. I titled the message this morning, Divine Callings and Determined Faithfulness. Divine Callings and Determined Faithfulness. And I, I want to maybe at the end of this pray for some aspects of the life that God's called us to, because it's going to be very much about callings. But you don't have to raise your hand right now, but, but I just want you to be in this room fully available. Frank mentioned just the, the need that we have for the Holy Spirit to find us in moments. And he finds us through his word. And he brings conviction and awareness. Sometimes he calls us to respond to him in ways. And if, if you just become a Christian who only listens and listens and listens and listens, but you don't realize how important it is for you to respond to God, not just to listen, but to respond to God. And many of us grew up in maybe liturgical settings where we were very used to the uh, church that felt like it was on autopilot. You walked in, you listened and listened and listened. The church did its thing and then you walked out. And many of us complained about that years later that, hey, I was just unaffected. Hey, this church is not exempt from that. And you're not exempt from that. You can come in this building week in and week out and listen and hear something. But what kind of response are you about to give to this word? God calls for a response and it's very important. So I just want to pull on a couple of possibilities for you. You know, how many of you are here this morning and just continuing in the stuff that God's put in your life is a real difficulty. Just taking the next step, not something totally new, something off the charts, never done this before, let me venture out. Not, not that, just another day of where you've been, another day of this season, another day of that relationship, another day of that setting in your life, just being faithful in it. How about having the courage to keep going. All right, sometimes courage isn't just needed when you're venturing off into something you've never done or experienced before. Sometimes courage is needed to take the next step in something that you're very familiar with because you know what to expect next. All right, so this is very much a message about faithfulness, but it takes us a moment to get there, and that's intentional. So Hebrews chapter 3, let's read the first six verses in this chapter. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. One of the things I want us to do as we study through a book together is learn to read the Bible well. Learn to enjoy what's written here in this scripture. So when you get to this moment here, there's stuff to take into account. Just Don't just read it like it's a devotional next thought, but I'm ignoring everything else that came before it, right? There's, there's a word therefore, right? Everybody who's a Christian, you read your Bible and you need to get a PhD in the word therefore, right? When you see that word pop up, you should be summarizing some things that have come with you. You've been reading Hebrews chapter one, chapter two, and now you have this therefore moment. It's, it makes you stop and ponder what, what did I just listen to in these first two chapters? 
And so I'm not going to go back and recreate all this, but eventually we're going to go from therefore to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. And that word's an obsessive word. It's, it's an OCD word. It, it's a carefully paying attention to constantly kind of a word. And, and I want to I want to encourage us in considering in this sense to consider Jesus is to know him in a way that you respond to him, right? Consideration is weighing and letting it find its way into my life and my soul. So it is considering and responding to him, knowing him that way and letting that turn your world upside down. Right? When we read a knowing of God, this considering of Jesus, you, know, you, you go into the Gospel of John, you hear John say, in this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Of all the things that make up life, in this is life, John says, to know Christ. There's a considering that just incorporates knowing him. And that knowing him touches everything about us, right? The apostle Paul said in Philippians, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. So there is a knowing of God that when it gets in its place, and it can't just be this thing on the side, on a shelf, on on a weekend event that we do, it's the obsession of our lives. And when it finds its place, it reaches over and touches everything in our life. And things get devalued when the most valuable thing touches everything, right? And that can be a little helpful. How many of us are, are freaking out about the wrong stuff in our lives? Right? Can I get an amen? All worked up, paying attention, overly paying attention, obsessed, fearful, dominated by something comes up, it threatens us because that thing is too big. That's all that means. You know, when I know the living God and I'm afraid of something else, it's, a, it's just a real easy formula. That thing is too big and my God is too small. Right? If I'm here this morning and I'm here with you and I have these problems, and, and fear is operating in me and anxiety is operating in me. The simple reality is whatever I'm staring at is too big and my God is too small. But, but I know a lot about God, right? I'm about, like, yeah, I've read lots of stuff. I've been to lots of services. I've gone to conferences. I've heard excellent teaching. But at some point that knowledge needs to find its way into a consideration in me. A pondering and an interacting where it's not just sitting in the knowledge category like math or science or history. It is sitting in the personal, I have encountered the living God category in such a way that I'm a different person. And that's what's being asked of us here. We've just, we've just read Jesus' resume for two chapters We've learned incredible things about the incomparable Christ. We've learned how he and he alone can conquer death. And he can go to work and fight against the shadow of death that's cast across our lives. And then we learned a big word last week, propitiation. This incomparable Christ satisfies God's righteous demands. Consider him in such a way that he revolutionizes your life. But what's going to happen in this passage is you're going to be invited to consider him who was faithful, and then you're going to be invited to be faithful as well. But I want you to notice something here. There's something that gets said, and it gets said a little too quickly maybe for us to catch it. It's sort of what you, when you read the scriptures, there's stuff running in the background. There's big, weighty theological words running in the background. And if you race past them, you will make the passage very light and fluffy. And it won't sit on you very well. Right? So there's something here that you have to understand because the writer of Hebrews is going to say it, assuming you've already taken the class in that category. And you know what that means. Right? It's sort of like if I were to say, um, Tom Brady is the goat, right? He owns the record for most touchdowns in the history of the NFL. 
I'm assuming you know a lot when I say that, right? I'm, I'm assuming nobody in here is going, who's Tom Brady? And nobody's going, wait, 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 Tom Brady is a farm animal? And um, touchdowns, touchdowns. What's a touchdown? Right, for you to kind of hear that phrase and go, yeah, man, that's exactly right, baby. I don't know who, you want to argue about who's the, who's the goat? Let's argue. The only reason why you could do that is because you've already kind of taken the class in some of these categories. You know what a touchdown is. You know what's involved in scoring a touchdown. You know what football is. So you bring all that knowledge to one simple statement. And you've got other quarterbacks in your mind and you've remembered what they've done. But this guy has done something else and he's in a class that's different. And you can make an argument for that because all those words mean something. And when you read this passage, there's a little line in here that if you read too quickly past it, you will miss the weight of how on earth are you and I going to be faithful in the moments of our lives, in the difficulties they contain, in the moments where we want to be anything but faithful and have courage and confidence to keep going. Well, here's the line. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. And then he's going to go on and make his point. But if you've read much of the New Testament, and matter of fact, if you read much of the scripture, those words are Heavy words, holy brothers, sharing in a heavenly calling. All right, so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna pretty much take that one last word apart a little bit for us today, because for us to be faithful and be courageous and have confidence in God's purpose, I, I need to get that word. And, and maybe I don't get that word. Maybe I'm not a real student in what it means for God to call me to something. And so I, let me just unpack that word. His calling is going to precede our faithfulness. So I want to make this word very, very heavy, and I'm going to try and do it as quickly as I can. But notice something here. And this is, this is Bible reading 101, but I don't assume everybody gets this. There, there's, a, there's a little group in this passage. Right? There is a holy brotherhood and those who share in a calling. And then there are those who are not. You do read that in the Bible, don't you? Right? You do recognize this is not written like the Encyclopedia Britannica or Time Magazine. Right? Somebody sits down and says, hey, hey, here's some thoughts for anybody and everybody in humanity. Right? When you read the Encyclopedia Britannica, you don't have to be anybody, right? I mean, it, it just, it, it's just stuff. It's categories and topics and locations and things that have happened and people. And anybody can read it. And it sort of means the same thing to everybody. That is not how the Bible is written. The Bible is written to a particular people. Now, everybody else gets to learn about God. And that's how he designed it. By paying attention to him interacting with a particular people. That's the story of the Bible. You make a massive mistake. And maybe this is going to be really weird for you to hear this. But remember, if you don't remember anything else, you make a massive mistake. If you turn this book into a vague conversation between a higher power and everybody on earth. That's not how it's written. There are those who are in relationship with God on this planet, and there are those who are not. And God is having a conversation with those who are in relationship with him so that the rest of the world can hear and listen in on that conversation. But you can't pick this up and decide, hey, you know what? I barely believe anything about that, but I found a few ideas in the Bible that I like. And so I'm all over those things. And so I incorporate them into my life. I kind of do some meditation on that in the morning. I kind of fix my mood a little bit, kind of get inspired here and there. Can I just tell you, there's, there's holy brothers in here. There are those who are in the family of God in here. And that insinuates that there are those perhaps reading or attending today or watching who are not. And that's very important 
Because I could overlook something here. I could be a Christian and overlook something. That there's something unique about you. You are not just another person on planet earth with a really cool book. You are so much more than that. There is a heavenly calling that sits on your life. That, as you'll see here, and I'm going to give you whiplash by going through this so quickly, but calling is all over the Bible. It's this thing that God does in interacting with human beings that makes them to be treated specially. The word calling, right? I'm trying not to chase too many thoughts here before I get into Just, just look with me in your notes there. Calling, right? The word calling in the Greek, it's the word klesis. It's the word from which eventually we're going to get the word church, right? If you've heard of ecclesiastical, ecclesiastes, these, these are things that have to do with the church. The word ecclesiastical is, is a form of the word that's used for church. It's ecclesia. And so it's two words. It's ek and klesia. It's calling, but it's out. It's God reaching into the world and taking a church, and he calls them the church. This is his people, and he calls them out. So there's a calling and a separating dimension. And that's where we get these words holy and brother. That word holy is a separating word. It's a uniqueness in God's purpose. So this word calling is God separating a people out. And that activity and how God is going to now relate to you is going to inform everything about what you do for the rest of your life. That's the biggest, most important thing about you. It's the most unique thing about you. God has separated you out to relate to you and intend things toward you in a different way. You're not just average Joe on planet Earth who's devoted to reading a book and coming to meetings. You are called by God. So let me race through a couple of really important verses, but this is everywhere in the Bible. I'm just... Dipping a little bit of a ladle into a big, deep pot. First Corinthians 1, verse 26. This is interesting that this is Paul interacting with the Corinthian church in chapter 1. The beginning of his conversation with them. Now, if you remember the Corinthians, the Corinthians were God's people. They're ecclesia. They're the called out ones. But they, they're a, a church full of problems. They're not relating well. They don't get along with each other well. They gather for meetings. The meetings are distorted. The stuff that goes on them is unorganized. There's a lot of selfishness in the way in which they do stuff. They've exalted themselves and considered others less than them. And they're better than this one and better than that one. And here's where Paul starts in chapter 1 to fix all those kinds of problems. Verse 26. Consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose What is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, I don't have time to unpack all this. And this is just, again, this is just a small statement in this passage. But it's the statement that adds all the weight to your activity and my activity of faithfulness. So when I hear this Why did God choose this way, right? And this choosing is an understanding of this calling. Consider your calling, brethren. How'd you get in this situation? Well, God chose. God chose this one. God chose that one. Oh, and by the way, let me just advertise the lack of quality in what God chose. Paul, did you mean to insult us in this? Well, sort of. Because the Corinthians were rich in having a high opinion of themselves. I mean, you guys know that part of our problems relationally comes when an individual gets too high an opinion of themselves, right? It creates all kinds of conflict, doesn't it? So Paul kind of humbles everybody in this moment. And then he says, why? So that, that verse 29, so 
that. Why'd you do this, God? So that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Do you know what boasting is? It's misplaced confidence. Now hold on to that word confidence because that's what's where we're going to land in Hebrews. But your calling has to do with your confidence. Your awareness of your calling has to do with your confidence. Your sense of, why is this going to work for me? Well, because of me. That's why. Because I'm more determined than anybody else. Because I'm smarter than anybody else. Because I'm quicker on my feet than anybody else. Because no one's going to work the way I'm going to work to make this thing happen. And that's exactly what God wants to undermine. And he turns around and says, I I need to undermine all that. Your sense of self-exaltation and self-confidence and self-appreciation is going to do nothing but get in the way. And eventually, you're going to lack confidence. Because your confidence is misplaced and your courage is going to dry up on you. And any summons to faithfulness will not be available. So the calling piece informs this. Verse 30, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So what does that understanding, this, remember this, this flows out of Paul saying, hey, consider your calling. So where does our sense of confidence get relocated? By our sense of calling, right? God has called something to be. God has determined that something would be. And then God provides all these reasons to everybody to say, hey, you do recognize this wasn't because you were really cool. You were awesome. You were more noble than anybody else. You were an amazing person. Now, why is this so important? Because at some point, your life is going to go sideways and the events of your life are going to go sideways. And you're going to do two things. You're going to, fig- you're going to try and figure out what got you into this mess about you. And then what's going to get you out of this mess about you. And God will be a minor, small player in that moment. And your sense of courage... If you don't have a great track record in that moment, if you finally have come to the place where you're really not all that impressed with yourself, your courage is going to dry up in that moment. And remember, the Hebrews are in that place. That's where they are. Their courage to continue, their enduring is drying up on them. They need some means of why am I going to live tomorrow? Well, this word faithfulness is about living tomorrow, isn't it? And faithfulness is about living tomorrow in the spaces that are just... Run-in-the-mill, everyday spaces of your life. Just be faithful over whatever God has called you to do. But remember your calling. That's not just a cute word. That's a weighty word in your life. Let me give you another weighty dimension. In Romans chapter 8, we all love this verse. We take shelter in it, and we should for all the right reasons. Romans 8, matter of fact, Romans 8, just the whole chapter is just worth living in. Verse 28 says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those, remember, this, does this mean everybody? Did you hear the those words? Is this an everybody passage? Anybody on planet Earth can just pick up this Bible and go, hey, look, I, it flopped open to something called Romans. What is that all about? Chapter 8, verse 28. I like the way that sounds. Uh, Yeah, I I love God, sure. Yeah, so everything's working for good for me. No. It would depend on whether you're one of those or not. Because that's who's in this passage, right? For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's the same group. That's not two different groups. There's a reason why you love God. It's because you're called according to his purpose. Don't, don't, again, don't have a high confident view of yourself and say, no, 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 no. I love God because that's what I'm like. I love God because that's what I'm about. I love God because I've figured out how lovable he really is. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you and I would never have figured that out apart from him calling us to even get it and see it. So it is his calling 
that has put all these things in motion. And there's this all things being presented here, right? All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I think I wrote in your outline, there is a divine interference or orchestration taking place in the the geography of our circumstances, the neurology of our lives. There's interference taking place. God is in the details, causing all things to work together for good. Is, Is that just happening by luck? Of course not. Is everything in your life becoming something good because of you? Is that what's in this passage? Right? This really serious, devoted Christian who, who just doesn't do stupid things. This is a verse for them. And when you do that, you cause all things to work together for good. What power you have. Isn't that incredible? Aren't you amazed by yourself? Or is this God saying, when I call you into my purpose, I touch every molecule of your existence and everything answers to my call for you. Everything does. Is that what that verse is saying? Yes. So in invisible spaces, in the willingness of people around you, in circumstances that look like they were just who knows what caused that to happen, God says, I'm in all of that. Why are you in all that? Because I called you to something. I have a purpose for your life. I have called you to this. And that is an identifiable group. Listen, if you, if you start trying to adjust some of these things because they feel uncomfortable, this feels uncomfortable. That's an identifiable group. I mean, it just feels better to me if God is fair and does this for everybody equally. Well, two things. One, that's just simply not what the Bible says. You know, whatever feels a certain way to me is not the thing that wins the day. It is truth as God has declared it that needs to win the day. So if God has said that there's a group like this that belongs to me in a special way and I have purposes and callings for them that I'm going to make sure and arrange all the molecules of life to make sure that takes place and I don't do that for this one. That might sound like, oh, I don't know if I like that. Uh, The God in all of his wisdom has shown us that that's the way he operates. I don't get to agree or disagree. I just get to submit to what God's revealed. This is what God has done. But let me just tell you what it's going to do for you as an individual. When you go to live your life and you're going to need some sense of faithfulness and courage and confidence... You're going to need to know God is on your side in particular ways, and it's personal. It's not just some vague sense of the force out there. It's a God who knows your name and has your particular life in mind that he is working in in all the details. If I know that about my moments in life when I'm sitting in a parking lot on Sunday morning thinking, I'm supposed to be preaching in just a few minutes. I can live in that moment aware God is controlling everything because he has purposes for my life that he has called me to. So when life creates its noise and it looks like you're not going to get there, this isn't going to work out. Isn't it helpful to know that there's a God who's uniquely on your side and he has chosen to include you in a special way? You're not just vaguely human. You're specifically his. Those who love God are those who are called. And then where does this calling come from? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So I get a little bit of a clue as to where is this going? Well, God is conforming me to the image of his son. So I kind of know where I'm headed by this passage. But those words are big words, right? Those whom he foreknew and predestined in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
I, I'm not going to chase off on this, but do you get the implication of that, right? Jesus is the firstborn of many, and there would not have been any others except for his foreknowing and his predestining. Did you get that? Why'd you do that? Well, because I wanted Jesus not to be alone in redemption. That he'd be the firstborn and there'd be nobody else after him. But what assures us that there won't be that there will be others, that Jesus' act of redemption would be joined by other brothers with him. How, how do we get assured of that? In, by entrusting it to human beings to be smart, to be humble enough to recognize that, God, there's something available to me. I want what Jesus has. Is that going to come from us? No. Do you know why it exists? Because of the foreknowledge and the pre-planning, predestination of God. Those are big words, aren't they? Well, actually, we don't like those words in many ways. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, you know, when you're called by God, it's like you, you've gotten on an escalator. It's going somewhere. It's a moving thing that you jumped on. You don't make it move. It moves. It takes you somewhere. And it takes you into the realm of justification and of glorification. And it does that because God is doing it. Not because you're doing it or I'm doing it. And when did all this happen? Everybody needs to know this, right? I know this is like, well, this is really the deep end of the pool, isn't it? Uh, yes. But if you don't swim in the deep end, you get to Hebrews chapter 3 and you have this little fluffy little statement, holy brothers, those who share in a heavenly calling, we just move on trying to figure out how to do life this week and be faithful. Because that little phrase didn't weigh much. Right, so I'm just trying to install some weight here this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. When did this calling take place? Even as, Ephesians 1 verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before you were born, before you had a good day, before you picked your Bible up and read it, before you decided that you'd stop believing stupid things and repented of horrible stuff that you've done, before any of that, before you had thought a thought, this was decided by God. He chose us. He gave us this calling that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. When did all this will take place? Before the foundations of the world. Now, why, why am I making a big deal out of this? Because sometime this week, you're going to try and figure out why God would or would not do X, Y, or Z for you. And what's going to be in your formula? For a lot of us, whether I've been a good boy or not. Whether I'm pulling off my part. The man-centered piece of us loves to insert us into the equation and minimize God. And this messes that up a little bit, doesn't it? Because this shows me a God who calls me and who chooses me in a predestining way from a realm long ago at a different address. It's not as though God pulls up to my address and twiddles his thumbs and goes, let's see if Keith's going to come up with a reason for me to be good to him. Let's see. Let's see how he does today. I mean, it's early in the week. He could probably pull off at least one day. Decent. Until I read the Bible and I find out God chose to relate to me in a particular way as a called those from the foundations of the world. That's a little different, isn't it? Paul says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy. 
Paul trying to encourage Timothy in continuing in his faithfulness. He says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Right, Timothy? It is not easy to do what you're called to do. Your life is full of issues and challenges. The season of the church is in a tough moment. Share in suffering, Timothy. And then look what he says next. By the power of God, this God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Same words. Not, Timothy, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Why does he keep hanging this time thing on this thing? To convince us that you didn't cause this. Your calling, God's faithfulness, God's intentionality to interfere with your life and cause all things to work together for good. You didn't cause that. You are not the source for that. And if you start to believe that for a second, you will boast in yourself. And you will boast in yourself because your confidence is in you. And you won't be faithful. You will run out of gas. You will come to a moment in life where you can't take the next step. Because you can only be so impressed with yourselves until the light comes on. And you realize, I'm really not all that impressive. No one is going to get to heaven and go, I knew it. I mean, since I was a kid, I knew it. No, you're only knew it is going to be when I boast in him and I stare off at the cross and I go, I knew it. Nothing about me, but I knew it because of him and I had confidence and hope the whole way. Listen, this is massively important when you go to face the motivating factors of your life to what's going to get you up and keep you going this week when you've had a hard time. When life isn't easy. Let me just say this as an advertisement for any time you hear us talk about systematic theology and classes like that. Uh, these are big words in these passages. Calling, that's a, that's a big word because it's all over the place. And you're, and you're not going to fully understand it just by reading Hebrews chapter 3. You're going to need to visit some other places like we did today. You're going to need to pull some other thought in here. Big words like foreknowledge. What's that all about? Predestination. I want to ask for a show of hands, but how many of y'all are allergic to that word? Let me, let me just warn you. I mean, I, I know there are people who love God, who I question their understanding and their theology, who, who don't like that word. Quite honestly, you don't like that word because it's not man-centered enough. It's a humbling word. It's a word that makes sure I'm aware I'm in this beneficial position because God chose for reasons in himself, not reasons in me, long ago before I ever existed, before I ever did anything good or evil, before I qualified or disqualified myself. God chose for reasons in him, which means on Wednesday of this week, God will still be choosing for reasons in him in my life, no matter what. Because this is coming from in him. And these words mean something, right? We've had some, we've had some big words in Hebrews, and there's more coming. Propitiation, right? I mean, we talked about that one last week. That's a big, heavy word. And to understand what Jesus did is to understand that word. To understand your calling and your sense of confidence is to understand foreknowing and predestination and God choosing. These are big words. We need big words. This is why I consider Jesus isn't like a a brief little five-minute devotional experience. It is consider him. It is study and know something about this God to the point that you start going, wow, wow. It's when worship goes off inside of me because this is awake in my affections and my realization of who this God really is to me. That's what God's after. That's the kind of knowing that is not some casual, distant, non-emotional knowing. Charles Spurgeon said this to his folks. I'm not sure they had nearly the access that we have to wonderful, serious, deep theology. 
but he said this to his church in the late 1800s. If we would influence thoughtful persons, it must be by solid arguments. Shallow minds may be worked upon by mere warmth of emotion and force of excitement, but the more valuable part of the community must be dealt with in quite another manner. When the Apostle Paul was desirous to influence his son in the faith, Timothy, he did not attempt to affect him by mere appeals to his feelings. Paul felt that the most effectual way to act upon him was to remind him of solid doctrinal truth of God, which he knew Timothy believed. This is a lesson for the ministry at large. It is a lesson we live by in this church. It is a reason why we we don't just love the idea of teaching devotionals on a Sunday morning. I mean, I hear from a lot of folks who are new. I mean, it's, this is sometimes the deep end of the pool. Who the heck stands up in a modern church and talks about predestination and foreknowledge on a Sunday morning? Can I just tell you, not enough. But the expectation is, if you want to pull this off, if you want to live for the glory of God, you can't have some thimbleful, shallow idea about who this God is. Consider Jesus isn't. So do you capitalize the J? That's not considering Jesus. The Jesus in the first two chapters of Hebrews, it's got a lot of weighty concepts going on in that Jesus. Do I know what they mean? Did I know what propitiation mean? Propitiation. Survey Sunday morning topics in America. And please tell me the last time you came across propitiation was discussed on a Sunday morning. This isn't weird. This is vital. This is essential to ministry actually having some weight. Spurgeon says this is a lesson for the ministry at large. Certain earnest preachers are incessantly exciting, but seldom, if ever, instructing them. They carry much fire and very little light. A religion which is based upon sustained and maintained simply by excitement will necessarily be very flimsy and unsubstantial and will yield very speedily to the crush of opposition or to the crumbling hand of time. If you're paying attention you have seen more deconstruction of people's faith in the last 10 years than you have seen in a lifetime of Christianity. What led to such deconstruction? Weighty things not being known. Shallow, easy to crumble stuff that you put the weight on that and it was built into your life because it had a brief moment of feeling a certain way. And then when life came along and sat on it, it crushed it. It will not crush propitiation. It will not crush the foreknowledge and predestination of God. It will not crush the calling of God in your life. But that needs to be known. Scriptural doctrine furnishes us with powerful motives to urge upon the minds of Christians. Spurgeon goes on and says this. says, the apostle... In order to excite Timothy to boldness, to keep him constant in the faith. In other words, what? To be faithful. Paul does to Timothy exactly what the writer of Hebrews does to those folks. He exhorts them to faithfulness. He reminds him of the great doctrine that the grace of God reigns in the salvation of men. He gives in this verse a brief summary of the gospel showing the great prominence which it gives to the grace of God with the design of maintaining Timothy in the boldness of his testimony for Christ. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do. Endure, keep going, take the next step, don't give up. Be bold, be confident in your faith. Hey, by the way, consider Jesus. He was faithful. Oh, and Moses, he was faithful. You be faithful. That's where this passage is trying to go. But why is it able to go there? Why can God put so much weight on whatever we're going to do next? Because of his call of us and all that that imparts to us, right? This calling includes a a present, ongoing working 
of God in our midst, right? Remember these words? I'm just going to remind you of 1 Corinthians 1. Consider your calling turns into this in verse 30. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let him who's going to have some confidence about their life, get this confidence from him because, oh, by the way, consider your calling because of him. These things are true about you because of him. So be confident. The one who called you is the one who's at work right now, all around you in the molecules of your life, making sure nothing's getting overlooked. He's at work. Romans 8 Listen to all the activity of God. All things work together for good. For those called according to his purpose. Verse 21. For those whom he foreknew. Who's the main character in this passage? He predestined. Verse 30. He predestined. He called. He justified. He glorified. Right? The main character in Christianity is God himself. He's not the responder to you and I becoming the main character. If so, I will not have any confidence available to me soon. I'm just not a good source of confidence. But God is doing something in this calling. This calling is the activity of God right now in the present. I love the way John Piper puts this. He says, the point here is that there is a kind of divine call that creates what it calls for. Can you just stop there for a second? How does, how does righteousness go off in us? How does sanctification go off in us? How does transformation being conformed to the image of Christ? How does this stuff go off in us? I think that's exactly right. There is a kind of divine call that creates what it calls for. So when you, when you have a command issued to us, the call of God is at work in that command, creating in us what it's calling for in us. So this is not God sitting in the bleachers with his back to us saying, hey, I'm going to send you guys a letter. You guys do your best to pull this off. Let me know how it's coming out. No, no, no. When he commands, he creates in us that which he is calling for. And that makes me feel totally different about whatever it is I'm about to do. Because it's not just me anymore, is it? It's God at work. Piper goes on and says, this is why it's not nonsense to call for a child to be born or a dead man to rise. Jesus illustrated this kind of call as he stood before the tomb of Lazarus who had been dead for days. Do you get this image? Lazarus, come forth. How's Lazarus going to do that? He's dead. Do you know anybody who's dead who makes good decisions? They don't make any decisions, do they? Because they're not able to make decisions. They're dead. So why is Lazarus going to suddenly, because he's been in there for days, proving he can't get himself out of this? He can't just decide of himself, I think I'll get raised up today, walk out and freak everybody out. But when Jesus Christ calls him, his call accomplishes that in him. It's his call that makes the difference in Lazarus coming up out of that tomb. And it's his call that shows up in every one of our lives. And maybe I don't have to come out of a dead man's tomb, but I got to come out of something, right? I got to live my life in some kind of category. And God's call is what's bringing that to pass. And that's why it makes sense. Now, in one sense, it's perfectly pointless to command a dead man to come out of the grave. Just as it's pointless to tell an unborn child to follow the instruction in the birth manual. But it's not pointless if the call itself contains the creative power to give life to the dead. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? So where's this verse taking us, right? Go back to Hebrews with me. 
And I realize for many, many of us live our lives at the category of our doing. And that's not wrong, by the way. It's just if you, if you live a Christian life full of doing and you don't get these kinds of deeper things, you're going to be exhausted, frustrated, lack hope. Or if you pull it off a little bit, you'll be very arrogant because your focus is too much on yourself. But this is a passage that in the foreground, right? There's touchdowns being scored here, right? In the foreground, there's faithfulness here. Consider Jesus, who was faithful, verse 2. Moses also was faithful, verse 2. Verse 5. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, verse 6. Christ is faithful over God's house, and we are his house. What does that tell you that he's doing right now in your life? We are his house. Is everybody his house? Careful, because if you think everybody's his house, then you just jettison the whole idea that God is specially, uniquely involved in those whom he called. But you are his house, and therefore he's involved. He is faithful over God's house. So you have this demonstration of faithfulness because there's a God who calls and appoints. Jesus was appointed by God, therefore he was faithful to the Father. There was a call in Jesus that he is faithful to. Moses, called by God uniquely, was faithful. Hey, dudes, first century Hebrews, you be faithful too, right? That's the last phrase. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Right? This is, I, I want to I reduce this to something really, really simple. This is a wonderfully simplified answer to the question. What do I do next? What do I do in this moment, in this situation, in this relationship, and whatever God's called me to in my employment situation and the church involvement? And what, 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 do I, what do I do? How about start with being faithful? Be faithful to the call you receive from God. Just be faithful to that. But be informed that your faithfulness, your sense of confidence and courage to continue in that is informed by the fact that he called you, which means he's in work in all kinds of ways all around you and in you and in other people and in circumstances and in seasons and times. The call of God sits in that moment with you. So whatever I'm going to do, it's informed by that unique hope that comes that God called me. He called me for reasons that are in him. From the foundations of the world, he called me. So that informs what I'm going to do. And I'm going to give you one last verse here, and we're going to pray. Seth, can I get you to come back up here? I know you're off today, but oh, the piano's covered. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> See what happens when you miss the first part of church? <laughs> I don't know who can solve it. Keith, can you? Uh, Stephen, can you come? Solve that for me, buddy. Thank you. All right, listen, listen, listen to the address of this issue of calling in this passage in 1 Peter. Because there's a lot of noise in this passage. So don't overlook the noise and just love the calling dimension. The calling is set in the noise. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves. Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you, right? He doesn't just care for you casually, He's called you and He cares for you because He's uniquely set you apart. Be Sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, right? There's still stuff to do, isn't there? We're still issued commands. There's things that you and I are going to get up tomorrow and we're going we're to do something in the faithfulness category. Knowing that the same kinds of Suffering 
are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will himself, he's going to do some doing. He's going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you hear where calling is in that verse? It's in the midst of your noise. Your noise doesn't mean you're not called. Your noise doesn't mean that, oh, well, I guess if I was following Jesus better, if I was, if I was, if I was, Listen, no matter what you do in this fallen world, these words are going to travel with you. Verse 6, here's some noise. At the proper time. I want you to think with me for a minute because I want to pray for you this morning. How many of you guys are struggling with timing issues in your life right now? Delay is a strong word in our life. Hope that gets deferred things that we thought would be here by now, accomplishments that look like they're never going to arrive because there's, there's timing, there's delay in our lives are very discouraging. Those Hebrews are facing moments like that. The noise of your life can feel like this is never going to happen. I don't know if I can keep doing this. That's in this passage. Anxieties is in verse seven. Are you anxious about some things this morning? If you, if you had to wrestle with the things that are challenging you, the things that are disorienting you, the noise that's in your life, are, are you anxious? Did you, did you sleep well last night? Do you have something right now that's just a recurring, noisy, scary thing in your life that you just can't seem to shake that thing? How about spiritual attacks? Your adversary, the devil, is shopping every moment he can to take you down. Because you're out of God's will? Because you did something wrong? No, because that's what he does. It's his full-time job. He's always about that. And then suffering is mentioned here. Your brothers are experiencing suffering like this too. So you can be in the midst of the noise of your life and it's easy when life is noisy and it feels like suffering and difficulty and hardship and discouragement and delay. You can lose sight of what is true here, but Peter just pulls it out like, hey, you do know this, right? He who called you, he called you to his eternal glory. Remember that glory word got used in glorification? He called you, he predestined you so that you're gonna be justified. And eventually you're going to be glorified. He called you to that. He's at work in this. He will, because that's the language of calling. He will do. He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's at work. So, hey, can you just take one more step? Can you just be faithful in what God's called you to? Don't complicate this. Don't try and think you've got to figure things out. You've got to figure out how your stupidity has voided all of God's intentions in your life. Don't, don't do that. If God wants to convict you, this is a real simple thing. Be faithful to repent then. But I did stupid things. Have you repented of those things? Because that's why God's telling you about them. So you'll stop traveling down that road any further. But he's not telling you about them. So you'll live in them forever. And just be accused over and over and paralyzed by that accusation. This is a passage about taking the next step. I took a lot of time to say there's a reason why we should take the next step because the one who calls creates activity with that calling the one who calls us to be faithful and to trust him and put our confidence and our courage in him that one who calls is at work in the very thing he's telling us to do he was faithful oh and by the way he's faithful to be at work in his house oh and you are his house He's at work right now. 
So when I go to take this next step, it is not Jesus sitting in the bleachers, eating popcorn, having a conversation, watching me take my next step and maybe catch it on the replay and go, Ooh, did you see that? Keith did pretty good. He's involved. I don't know exactly how, but somehow I make a decision to pick up a foot and put it right there. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. But it felt like me. And when it stops feeling like you, you're in a weird place. There are no zombie Christians in this room today who feel like, oh, long ago, I just stopped living and it's just been Jesus ever since. I don't feel like I do anything. Can I just tell you, that's not a Christian in the world who exists that way. He has joined his life to your life. You're still going to feel like you're making decisions. Yet it's not I. It's Christ in me who's walking with me. Last thought. Y'all stand up together. It's a very helpful insight from Richard Phillips in his commentary on Hebrews. He says, there's no conflict between the teaching that all true believers are safe in the hands of God and the teaching that emphasizes that Christians must persevere in faith. All true Christians will continue in the faith until they are gathered to God. But it's also true that true Christian faith is proved only by steadfastness under trial. We are saved by faith alone. But the test of our faith comes through our willingness to persevere under difficulty and persecution. Listen, listen to this. This is helpful. If you are a Christian, God will call you to show courage before the world. Holding fast to your hope in Jesus Christ. God will call you to be courageous to stare into your life moments and to have the courage to just take the next step with your confidence in him who called you he is faithful he will bring it to pass so can I do this with you this morning some of us are are in the habits of under responding to things that God is doing in our lives. It's a terrible place. It will turn the church into this dead zone. So I just, I just want to encourage you right now. The prayer team can go ahead and come up uh, right now. I just want to encourage you. If you're in a moment where you're, you're needing to, to have the courage to take the next step in something, Something God has called you to. And faithfulness in the next step. It could be a long season that you don't know when it's going to come to an end. Okay, can you just take the next step in faithfulness and confidence and hope in him? It could be something very new. It could be changing of course. It could be a healing of relationship that's going to require you to have the courage to go to that person and to start a new day with them. No matter how complicated that might seem to you. You could be here this morning and and you're not really a Christian. And the courage is that God's calling you to entrust your life to him completely. To give up on ownership of it from this moment forward. To have the confidence that he's going to be good to you as you follow him for the rest of your life. But I don't want you to under respond. So we're going to pull up some of our Pentecostal roots this morning. I want to ask you, if you're sensing, God, I, I need to take a courageous step in I need to continue in faithfulness in something I'm struggling with. I want you to get out of your chair and I want you to come forward. I want you to respond to God. I want you to make a big deal in the face of God and say, God, I I need some courage to keep going or to take this step or to walk with you here. So whatever that is, come out from where you are. Take a step. Let God meet you. Let him put a point on this morning Let him interact with you. Consider Jesus isn't just, hey, never heard some of that before, Keith. That was a little bit helpful. I wonder if it's still raining outside. That's not considering Jesus. Consider Jesus this morning in terms of the Lordship of Christ. And whether you're in a place that you don't like, you're in a season you don't like, but he is Lord. 
And you're going to take a step in trust that he is the Lord of your life. He's orchestrating all of it. Trust him in obedience. You don't want this any longer, but he is Lord. Obey him and trust him. And take a step in agreement with him. And let the courage and confidence arise in your heart as you do that. He's called you to this. So if you're here this morning... This is the morning that God's calling you to entrust yourself to him. Hey, that's true because he calls. He comes after you. He finds you in the moments of your life. And he says, I have a life for you. I'm calling you. I want you to be those in whom I'm at work. Listen, if if you're not sure about that, would you find your way forward and just come up for prayer? One of us will come and find you and just pray with you. So you can leave here with this assurance. There's a call operating in your life. You're not causing all things to work together for good. The God who called you is at work that way in your life. On Wednesday, you're going to need to know that. Anybody else need to come up this morning? Just to respond to the Lord. for us just for a moment because I don't want anybody to, to miss an opportunity just to, to respond. Lord, I thank you for the richness of words. I thank you that you have preserved your word and you have put it on pages for us to interact with. But Lord, this is not a reading class. We didn't just come this morning to interact with vocabulary words and sentence structures. We came here to consider Jesus, the one faithful over his house, the great high priest and apostle of our confidence. So Lord, we we need you to reach in and touch more than just our minds with these words, but Lord, to touch our courage, to touch our confidence, to touch us with an ability to be faithful, to take another step entrusting our lives to you, Lord. So anybody here this morning, Lord, who's in that place where courage has been hard and confidence has been misplaced, Lord, would you would you step into that category personally? Holy Spirit, awakening our response. You who are at work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Awaken in us, Lord, a trust that boasts in you. Why am I taking this next step? Because I'm trusting Christ. He will not fail me. He is committed to me. He has called me to a purpose that's eternal. And that brings glory to his name. He is at work at every second of my life. I take this next step because I know who he is. I'm boasting in him. That's why I take this next step. Lord, would you breed peace among us? as we entrust ourselves to you as confidence reigns in our hearts in the days ahead because you have called us. What a difference that makes. Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, oh, be faithful. Take the next step. The one who calls you is creating all around you. Lord, for that, we take shelter take our steps of faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, if you guys would exit quietly and let these guys continue to pray as the Lord leads them. Again, if you haven't yet responded, but you'd like to come forward for prayer, please, please do that. Come and join us up front. If you guys have kids in children's ministry, we're a little bit over, so I'm sure they'd appreciate you scooping up on your kids. Amen.